verse, Psalm 62, 11, here it is, says, God spoke to me, but I kind of heard two different things. Okay, children's church. Now, can I, can I go back for the verse for a sec? Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that reminder. Um, what he says here is, when God spoke to me, I heard two things. And there, as I tried to point out last week, there are two different necessary sides of the same coin. If the, if the strength is perfect and the love is perfect, then both sides have to be there. Both sides balance each other out. And the one limits the other. And so, um, as I said last week, uh, if you were here, you might remember we talked about how strong is God? How, what kind of power does He have? And what we concluded was that He's so strong that he, it's impossible for Him to fail. If He plans something, if it's His will, it's going to happen. Nothing can stop Him. There's no competition for God. He's that strong. Not only is he so strong he cannot fail, he's so strong that he cannot contradict himself. So there is nothing that would in, impede him or cause him to ever revert or go back on or lie or return on any, go back on anything that he said or promised. So this amazing, unbelievable, overwhelming strength that God has is, is what he says. I, I heard, oh God, that you were strong. But then the question for us human beings is, okay, if God's so strong, then why is all this, why don't he whip this world into shape? Why is all this stuff happen? That obviously is against God's will. Why do we have to pray, oh God, your will be done? Why isn't it just done if he's so strong? And that's the second part. Because the will of God, the strength of God is limited by the love of God. There's a balance here. And every parent in the world, every parent sitting here in this room understands and comprehends this idea or this reality. There are times where you could remove your child's head from their shoulders, but you wouldn't even think of it. You have the capacity. You are strong enough that you could make their life utterly miserable, but you don't because you're not interested in that. Your love balances and limits the strength that you have. And so this is the other side of it. I've heard, God, that you are, you are overwhelming in your strength. But I've also heard that you are loving. And uh, both, of these, both of these are necessarily true and amazingly true and give us a ton of things to think about, ponder in our own life and in our own love because that's the topic, that's the side of it that we want to talk about today. Uh, you know, the Bible was written to tell us about God. It's a book of information, and stories, and persons, and experiences that all wind up explaining and revealing to us things about God. That's what the Bible's given to us for. Uh, we believe God actually put words in people's minds, like he, he showed them truth, but he even gave them words to put down on paper how to express that truth, that, that 
the inspiration of God included the inspiration of how to say things. And I had a thought this past week, and I said to myself, uh, I wonder if God ever, in the scriptures, I wonder if he ever picked just one word, um, not to describe himself so much as just to define himself. Is there one, did he ever, in the, in the scriptures, did God ever give a one unit of thought in our language, in our human language, and say, you know, as much as I can boil it down to just one word, this one word is an analogy for me. It is a definition of me. And so, I went to the New Testament, and I carefully went through the entire New Testament. Um, just read and read and looked at concordances and went through everything that I could think of in the New Testament to see, did God ever just define himself to us human beings by using one single simple word? And I found that, yes, indeed, he did in the New Testament that I could locate. There were three times, three instances, so it's pretty rare. But what I found was, first of all, he uses the word fire. This is in, this is in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. That don't show up too well. Here it is. Just forget about the adjective there for a minute, consuming. Just take that out in your mind and just read it, noun, verb, I mean subject, verb. God is a fire. One word, and it describes something about God to us. Or it, it defines God. It just says God is fire. Phew. That's a powerful thought. Uh, in fact, it, it says this is a fire that will burn every bit of fuel that's available for it. It is a consuming fire. This is not just the idea of fire itself, but this is a fire when it's finished its work. This is, this is a definition of God. He is fire. So that says to me uh, that we should fear God because he's hugely powerful like a fire. A fire to us, if I could use two uh, descriptions, is tremendously useful, but also highly dangerous. You know, a fire can warm a room, just like our room that we're sitting in here on this chilly morning. It's wonderful what the fire can do to the air to heat it up that we can sit here in comfort. But fire also can send a bullet screaming out of the end of a gun barrel, because fire lights off the powder and so the process goes, and it can bring tremendous damage and destruction and death. So, fire is dangerous, but it's also extremely useful. And in the history of our civilization, the combination of the usefulness and the, the danger of fire has been very central to our human existence. And there's a lot we could think about connecting God with this one word definition. He's fire. Here is a second instance that I found in the New Testament. And this uh, this is, this is uh, also a very most central aspect of our human life. It tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. So now, uh, the second word picture or definition, this simple statement, God is light, and it, and it 
and it adds the phrase in case we wonder, this is not a diluted light that's part shadow and this is not a hoped for light. This is a light so pure there's no darkness in it. It never, sh- it never fades, it never, um, it, it, it never dims. This is pure light. God is light. He is fire. He is light. So that said to me that we can have confidence in God because He's not only powerful like a fire, but He's pure like a light. And, and there, is, there is a con- consistency to who God is and what He has planned and He carries out, carrying out His plans for the world. And I think what the analogy of light is saying to us is you hang around God and you're going to understand stuff. God illuminates as light does. It's so beautiful, but at the same time, the other side of light is if it's too bright or you stare at it too long, it's, it can blind you. So uh, you have to be careful. You have to find a balance with light because it's, it's powerful in the purity of its being, of its essence. And then here's the third, and you already know what this is because the psalmist has already said to us, God is so strong, but he is so loving. Then, and, and this is what the New Testament tells us as well. God is love. So, the first two, fire and light, are tangible. You can see fire. You can see light. But as you understand, love is intangible. You can't hold it in your hands. You can't see it with your eyes. And so, in a way, love is the most slippery of all of these three that I found in the New Testament. Love is real, but it's slippery because you can't see it like you can see light or fire. You can't feel its heat. You can't feel its power in the exact same way. Love is of the essence of our spirits. And, and that's why we say there is nothing so satisfying as love. It's immensely, tremendously, innately satisfying to our lives to know that we're loved. To know that somebody values us and cherishes us and is interested in talking to us and wants to know about our well-being and just smile or hug, hug us. is the most wonderful, grateful thing. And we love to do it to other people. We, we enjoy expressing our love to them. It's very satisfying. We need it. We do all kinds of crazy things to obtain love. It fills our hearts with joy. At the same time, because of its, because of its uh, deeply intense nature, it can break our heart. So if I say to Tim, I love you, man, and he says... Well, I love you. I'm crushed. I'm heartbroken. Because the love that had the potential to satisfy me has been rejected or somehow has not been given to me. Uh, I heard this story. Uh, it's a joke. You know it is. Okay, so the old guy's out fishing in the boat. And this frog swims up. And he's poked his head above the water and he says to the guy in the boat, if you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful lady and love you the rest of your life. And 
The old fisherman kind of looks at it like that for a while. <laughs> he grabs that frog, sticks it in his pocket, snaps the pocket shut. <clears throat> so later they're on the way home, and this frog is just kind of beside himself why the guy has not kissed him and all this. So he, he says out of his coat pocket, coat pocket, he says, Hey, I promised you I'd turn into a beautiful lady and love you the rest of your life, but you have to kiss me. Why haven't you kissed me? And he says, the old man says, shut up, I'm 85 years old. At this stage, I'm more interested in a talking frog. <laughs> Love is satisfying, but it's heartbreaking. So, the, so the, the psalmist says, two things I've figured out about you, Lord. Your word came to me. There's a moment of revelation. There's a moment of insight. And in that moment, I realized, you are so strong and you are so loving. Both sides of this thing have to be brought out. Now, um, I, I want to just pause and say, some of you in the translations you use, uh, if the, the, I'm using here the New International Version, you may have a different word than loving. The Hebrew word, which I have listed here, uh, the Hebrew word has two two components to it. It's one of the most popular words in the Old Testament. It's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It's a word that God uses to describe himself over and over. But it's, it's often translated love, but it's sometimes translated faithfulness. It's sometimes translated compassion. It's, it's, there's, two, there's two distinct sides to this, to this Hebrew word. And so I'm saying your translation might have said you, God, are strong and you are compassionate. Or it might have said you are strong and you are faithful. The emotional side of, of this word that is often sometimes translated steadfastness, loving kindness, loving kind, uh, mercy and loving kindness. It's a, it's a heavyweight, big, important word in the Hebrew vocabulary. And there's an emotional side to it. In other words, if, if one of the uh, Hebrew people spoke to another of their chesed. It could be that they're talking about this emotional response of, of just, man, you're great. I, I can't let you go along your way without giving you a hug or giving you a hand or giving you some money or whatever. I have compassion on you or on your situation. It's the, it's the emotional grip of, of the connection. That's one side of it. But the other side of the word is not based on emotion or is not a, a product of emotion. It's rather the commitment of the husband and the wife to each other, for example. When they make the vow and they say, even when the emotion isn't felt, I'll still be here. I'll still be uh, unwavering. I will still be steadfast. All of that is in one word. It's a, big, it's a, a, a very big and powerful word. And it's the word that he uses when he says, I've heard, O oh God, that you are strong and that your chesed, your, your, your loving kindness, your commitment to me is uh, without question. And, and, and so the NIV just throws that all in the word love. And it says, I've heard you're strong. I've heard that you're loving. So um, I want to take 10 minutes and talk about or just try to imagine what is love because if god is loving what is all this what does this really mean uh, apart perhaps from some 
some compassion or some mercy that he, that he sends our way. It seems to me, I'm going to just kind of use a popular notion of love, and you've heard this in many country songs, and you've experienced this in many books and movies and stuff, but it seems to me that there's a simple three-step process in love, in a simple three-part component to what love is. And the first one is attraction. So this may seem emotional, but I think it goes far beyond emotional. But somewhere, somehow, whether from afar and a distance or whether up close, we admire each other. We, we have a, an interest in that other person. Somehow, uh, we become fascinated about this other being. We may be reading about something in the books, in a book. It might be a movie from history, and we say, Oh, I love that time of the, I, I love that place, or I love this. And what we mean is that there's, there is a, there's a bond, there's an attraction that is somehow built. That somehow, in the, in the point of, in the character of God, in the person of God, it seems to me, was, was based on the fact of what he was going to do, even more than what he had already done. Because God loved us before he ever created us. And so, it wasn't that he looked at us and found us to be so pretty, um, or so endearing, but rather this idea this idea and reality that from his image he could fashion a world and he could make other beings kind of like little gods was so attractive to him that he was just irresistibly drawn like a magnet. And therefore, because of that, he said, I am going to, because I have loved, I'm going to prepare for the creation and the fulfillment of that love. And that's the same thing that he's already doing now for our, uh, what's ahead of us in, in heaven. He said, this is a verse where, where Jesus is speaking in a parable, and he says, there's a kingdom prepared for you. I've already loved you so much that I've made a way and a place for you. Now it's your turn to step up and get what love has already provided and prepared. This is the attraction. It's like a, it's you know, it's like a, a kid who says, "I'm attracted." Uh, let's say a guy says, "I'm attracted to that girl over there. Um, I got to take her on a date." Uh, oh, I don't have a car. How can I go take her on a date? I'm gonna have to borrow a car. Right? I mean, the the wheels start turning, the cogs get engaged, and it's all because of an attraction. And there may be a million things that are done to prepare for the expression of that love. But it all starts with the attraction. And this is what the Bible says to us about God. He first loved us. We didn't, he didn't love us because we were attractive. Jesus didn't die for us because we were stellar. He died for us because we were sinful. But he loved us first. And we love him back because we realize that. We realize God took me on a date when I didn't even know who he was. He came and knocked on my door and he brought flowers and he said, can I go, can we go to a, see a movie? Can we, 
Because God first loved us. So the creation of our world was... The creation of our world was not an afterthought or an accident. The creation of our world was because God had already been drawn to us. And he decided that eventually when he got around to it and was ready and had prepared, he would create us. So he had to have a place for us. He had to have a nursery for the baby. So he remodeled the universe. He remodeled whatever was there before the universe. And he created the heavens and the earth. And he put a garden there, and the culmination of all the preparation, as you know, was day six when he created mankind, the top of his creation. And he said, look, this is all for you. This is all about you. This is all preparation of you. Take over and run the show. I have thought about this idea, and I'm, in, I'm infatuated, and I'm drawn, and I'm irresistibly charged up about this. And, you know, it tells us in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, that God, in the book of Revelation, that God knew that we, we were going to go wrong. And he had things prepared for that. And that's why it can say that the, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. That doesn't mean from the day one. It means from prior to day one. That, that the idea and the reality and the commitment of God to Christ and the, redeem, the redemption for us, that was already in place. Because he knew what would happen. It doesn't mean that we didn't have freedom. But the second phase or the second stage or step of love, it seems to me, after some, somehow an initial retra- an, an attraction or uh, an admiration is the determination because of the admiration, there has to be a connection form. And we've all experienced this in a million ways. Because here's the truth of it. Admiration or attraction demands connection. That's why the guy rings the the doorbell with flowers in his hand. That's uh, uh, That's why two people look at each other and say, can I have your phone number? There is... There is... There is something about attraction that says, I want to know that person. I don't want to just be an admirer. I don't want to just, from afar, uh, marvel at their beauty. I want to know what they like and need, and I want to, I want to take care of them, and I want, to be, I want to be on a level of interaction with them, and I'll do whatever it takes. And you, you can... You, you, you've heard a million crazy stories of things that people have done for the sake of love, of connecting with each other. And that's the same as true of God. When the psalmist said, Lord, I, I know that I've heard and understood that you are loving, he's saying, you didn't just, you didn't just have a good idea. You were irresistibly drawn to make it happen. It wasn't enough for you to put us here and say, wow, how beautiful these creatures I have made. You had to come to visit us. The the attraction demanded a connection. And so here it says, for example, that um, God sent forth His Son. I love that phrase. It's just one word in the Greek text, but it's it's a beautiful word. He sent forth His, His Son. And, his, and He has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts. It's the initiation after the attraction is the initiation of the connection. 
This is the guy climbing in his car. I remember a cousin of mine who's my age. Uh, he he wanted to, he was senior in high school and he um, he he wanted to buy an old pickup truck that was for sale. And his dad was trying to discourage us. And he said, Rick, he said, you know, you, you don't want that old pickup. He said, well, if you go pick up some girl on a date and that old thing, she'll laugh at you. And my cousin looked at his dad and said, if you got what it takes, it don't matter what you drive. <laughs> God did something. It didn't matter. Formerly, let me finish this verse. God has made you to be a son and an heir. Formerly, you did not know God. That's the, that's the crux right there. The attraction says, wow, you're pretty, but I don't know you. The connection says, I want to get to know you. This is the process, the reality of what it means to love. We don't love somebody if we don't try to connect, if we don't care whether we connect, if we just see their name or we just see their, see their picture or, or, or whatever, but, we, but we're never, uh, we never do anything to connect them. We don't, we don't love them. I, I noticed this morning I came in out here in the entryway, there's a sign that says, uh, we love our missionaries. Well, good. That's right. That's, that's wonderful. But do we, does that mean that we connect with them? Or do we just admire them and say, oh, how wonderful and how noble for you to go to Africa. That's not really love. Love says, hey, let me help you go to Africa. Let me, let me somehow connect with you and be involved. And so it seems to me that the, when I say attraction demands connection, it just seems to me like there is no greater force in the universe than this connection that God was, was drawn to by his attraction. And, you know, I just use gravity as an analogy because gravity is crazy in its connection. When, you know, when the, when the astronauts go to the moon, when they finally quit slowing down because they've left Earth's gravity and it's gotten so weak and it's so weak and the spaceship has slowed down and slowed down, so it's only going a couple thousand miles an hour, uh, it would seem like they're just going to coast to a stop, but then they start speeding back up. They have the, NASA has this term they call equigravitational zone. Equigravitational zone. And what it means is that when you just slow down where the Earth is no longer pulling on you, suddenly you will, the spaceship finds itself beginning to speed up. What's going on? Well, now they're in the attraction zone of the moon. And the gravity there starts pulling them, and they go faster and faster and faster. And if, something, if they didn't stop it somehow, or get into orbit somehow, they'd crash right into the thing. Because this attraction is overwhelming. But I'm saying, that don't even compare with, with, the, with the love that pulled God close to us. Go, and, and, and in order to express that, he'll do anything in order to connect. And here's what Jesus did. It says, Jesus didn't cling on to his divinity, but he laid aside all of the independent attributes of that and he made himself nothing because that's what it took to walk across the bridge for us. Uh, this, is, this is him coming. He, he was found in appearance as a man. He was born as a baby. This is the lovingness of God being manifested to us and even, even his death on the cross. Okay, here's the third thing. Love... What is love? What, what does it mean to love? Love doesn't stop with connection. You know, some of you have gone on cruises 
and vacations and explorations, and you've come back and said, oh, the Bahamas are cool. Oh, I think it's wonderful up in Alaska. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And all you've done is just explore. You've made no commitment to that place. You went to visit. You were attracted. Then you were connected. And that's it. You came home. And you said that was nice. But that's not what love does. Love says, I, I'm not going anywhere. I was attracted, I'm connected, and this is where I will stay. That's, what, that's the dedication side of what this word means. Um, that God, God is strong and he is, also, he is also loving. The Lord himself uses this word to, to Moses in Exodus 34, many other places in the Old Testament. But it says he passed in front of Moses saying, The Lord, the Lord compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed. This is the, na the normal nature of God, to stick with His connections. If He loves us, He dies for us, if He, if, if he, didn't, if he didn't have this, He wouldn't have died for us. If He loves us, He will do everything possible for our benefit and for our good. There are, there are ways that we can escape that or, or go outside of that love. It says he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He still gives us this freedom, but he, he urgently seeks to do all he can to, to create a, a great future for us. Here's a, another use of this word, Psalm 94. Who will rise up against the wicked unless the Lord had given me help? I would have died. But when I said... My foot is slipping. Here came the rescue net of God. Here came his arms underneath. Here came the love of God that was committed to me. And David says, it brought a lot of joy to my heart knowing that I'm loved by God and I'm going to be helped out by God and he's going to take care of me till the day I die and then he's got another plan to take care of me after that. Here's another thought in Psalm 16. He says, even at the end of my life, when, the time, when I lay down on my bed for the final time and I breathe my final my breath of air, I will be able to say there's a gladness in my heart. I can speak a good testimony to other people. Even my body, even the physical house in which my, my soul has lived, it will not be abandoned. Afterwards, that experience, God will make known to me the path of life. He will provide for me a place of joy. I mean, this is a love story. This is a story that says, I'm not going to quit when you die. There's more. That's just the first phase. But I am connected to you forever. Because the connection demands a commitment. And that's what God gives and that's what He offers. So love, this is uh, what I want to say as we prepare our thoughts for communion here. Love refuses to quit because it's happy to do the work. Whatever it is that it does to stay connected. Whatever it... It has to covenant to keep itself committed. It delights to do that. It wants to protect. It wants to provide. It wants to be present with that other person because it, that's what it is. That's its greatest delight. And, um, and so these are some thoughts for us <clears throat> to, to ponder of, of what it must mean for God to be, um, for God to be loving so we turn just now uh, to these symbols of that love, and we're gonna. I'm gonna have the uh, 
servers to come and they're going to pass through 